0: Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit is stirring up in the Church right now, words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. We are glad you can be with us this week as we seek to encourage you for this moment in history. And now, your host, Ralph Martin.
1: Hey, welcome to week two of our Lenten mission. My name is Ralph Martin. I'm president of Renewal Ministries. Uh, I am director of the graduate theology programs of New Evangelization at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. And uh, we just love doing these uh, missions. We did the Advent mission in four weeks and on the same book, The Fulfillment of All Desire. We doing the Lenten mission on the same book and uh, we're, we're just really grateful to God and for technology that we can actually be together tonight all over the world and actually talk about the most important things in the world, how we can come into union with the Lord, how we can grow in union with the Lord. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about this book, The Fulfillment of All Desire, a guidebook for the journey to God based on the wisdom of the saints. And we're also going to uh, offer a discount. We've been offering a discount during the Advent mission, we're offering the same discount here for the Lenten Mission. It's 20% off but of already discounted price, including free shipping. And uh, we, we send it out uh, by media mail. And usually media mail gets there in a week or so. But because of the uh, dysfunction in the post office, uh, it could take as much as three or four weeks. So uh, if you need to get it right away, uh, go to Amazon. That would probably be the best thing. But uh, if you can wait a little while. Uh, it's a 20% discount here, and uh, it, it helps us when you order through us. I also want to tell you about a new book I've written called "A Church in Crises, Pathways Forward. And uh, this is a book, again, a silver lining from COVID. I didn't think I'd have time to do it. And then all my travel got canceled, and uh, I was able to do it. And what this is trying to do is identify the biggest deceptions right now that are troubling people that are really crept even into the church and the pressure coming from outside the church and how to get clear, how to know where we can stand in a a solid way and deal with what's coming. The the persecution is coming, the the contradictions that are happening in the church right now, the uh, just confusing things that are happening. So I'm trying to uh, help people get clear so they can kind of reaffirm the truth and stand on a firm foundation and then the second part of the book is called Pathways Forward, where we talk about how to how to move forward and different positive things we can do to move forward. So that book's also available at renewalminerities.net. Again, we, we mail it, media mail. It uh, should get there within a week or so, but sometimes it takes longer because of local situations in the post office. If you need it right away, amazon.com. Also, I'd like to tell you that friends of ours, uh, have been canceled, have been uh, deleted from YouTube, and we don't think that's going to happen to us. We we hope it doesn't happen to us. We're, we're not being unnecessarily provocative, but we do talk about some things that our current culture doesn't like at all, so we'll have to see what happens. But the best way of staying in touch with us in case we have to move to another outlet if you want to keep in, in contact with our videos that we're doing, we're doing videos actually every week. Uh, each each week, Peter Herbeck and myself usually do a new video during Lent. The new videos are what I'm doing tonight. They'll be posted tomorrow. But if you could kind of give us your email address, we'd be able to let you know where we've gone to if we have to go to someplace. So you can just go to our website, RenewalMercies.net. What you do is you sign up for our newsletter, and that way we have your email and we can keep in touch with you that way. So the first part of our time tonight, I'm going to take some time to go through the questions that came in last week that we couldn't answer that I think have relevance for a lot of people. The first question was somebody said that you said that you're going to tell us what God the Father told Catherine of Siena about heaven, hell, and purgatory. And you told us about heaven and hell, but you didn't tell us about purgatory. And indeed, that was the case. That time was running out, and I just did hell and heaven and uh, skipped purgatory. So I'm going to fill in the picture tonight with purgatory. Now, those of you who have the book have asked me to tell you what page I'm on. So we're on pages 59 to 61. But again, you don't need to have the book to get a lot out of these sessions. Uh, I'm trying to construct them in a way so you don't have to have the book. You don't have to read things in advance. You don't have to do any homework, but you can just be there. And, and with a heart open to God's word, with a mind attentive to the word, uh, I, I know the Lord has good things in store for you. So here's what Catherine of Siena reports God telling her about purgatory. Actually, uh, I want to put in something here about Bernard of Clairvaux first. In fact, I I need to introduce him. I meant to introduce him last week, but I'm going to introduce Bernard of Clairvaux because I'm going to start off actually with a quote from Bernard of Clairvaux before I get to Catherine of Siena. Bernard of Clairvaux uh, lived in the 11th century, and uh, he was a pretty amazing man. Uh, When he was in his early 20s, he arrived at the monastery door of uh, Citeaux, which was a reformed branch of the Benedictine order, uh, with 30 of his friends and relatives. So he was a pretty dynamic person to get 30 people to join the monastery with him. And a lot of people in his family were very holy people. His uh, mother is uh, beatified and five of his siblings. His father is venerable. And by the time he died, he had 63 at the age of sixty-three, he had seven monasteries he had founded, and he had another ninety-four that wanted to affiliate with him. So, pretty remarkable person. Uh, his his main books are commentaries on the Song of Songs in four volumes. So, what I've done for you is to go through all four volumes and bring you some of the most relevant, important things for the spiritual journey. We're going to be getting more burned as we go into. Uh, week four, when we start talking about the fruits of the deeper purification, where it brings us. Well, actually, uh, actually, I'm going to actually get the Bernard later, sorry. This is Catherine and reporting what God the Father showed her. How great is the stupidity of those who make themselves weak in spite of my strengthening and put themselves into the devil's hands. I want you to know then that at the moment of death, because they have put themselves during life under the devil's rule, not by force, because they cannot be forced, as I told you, but they put themselves voluntarily into his hands. And because they come to the point of death under this perverse rule, they can expect no other judgment but that of their own conscience. They come without hope to eternal damnation and hate. They grasp at hell in the moment of their death, and even before they possess it, they take hell as their prize along with their lords, the demons. Now, as horrible as the final moments of those who have refused to repent and hardened their heart against the mercy of Christ is how wonderful are the deaths of those who are dying in friendship with the Lord. The just, on the other hand, have lived in charity and die in love. If they have lived perfectly in virtue, enlightened by faith, seeing with faith and trusting completely in the blood of the Lamb, when they come to the point of death, they see the good I have prepared for them. They embrace it with the arms of love, reaching out with the grasp of love to me, the supreme and eternal good at the very edge of death. And so they taste eternal life even before they have left their mortal bodies. Here comes purgatory. There are those who have passed through life and arrive at the end point of death with only a commonplace love and were never very perfect. These embrace my mercy with the same light of faith and hope as those who were perfect. But these have this light imperfectly, and because they are imperfect, they reach out for mercy, considering my mercy greater than their own guilt. So no one waits to be judged. All receive their appointed place as they leave this life. They taste it and possess it even before they leave their bodies at the moment of death. The damned in hate and despair. The perfect in love with the light of faith and trusting in the blood. And the imperfect in mercy and with the same faith come to that place called purgatory. So what we're doing here in this Lenten mission, what we did in the Advent mission, is trying to help us grow in love. Because what it means to grow in holiness, it means to grow in love. And that's what we're talking about. But in order to grow in love, we have to uh, allow the Lord to reorder things in our life. So here comes a quote from St. Bernard. It's a prayer. Lord Jesus, whoever refuses to live for you is clearly worthy of death. And is, in fact, dead already. Whoever whoever does not know you is a fool. And whoever wants to become something without you, without doubt, that man is considered nothing and is just that. You have made all things for yourself, O God. And whoever wants to live for himself and not for you and all that he does is nothing. Fear God and keep his commandments, it is said, for this is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiasticus. Chapter 12, verse 13. So um, that's what Catherine of Siena says to Godfather, God the Father showed her about purgatory. So question number two. Um, how to handle comp- complex theological theories that support universalism? You know, last week I, I talked about how there really is a heaven, there really is a hell. There really is a broad way that leads to destruction. There really is a narrow way that leads to life. And anybody tells you anything different is telling you a lie. And I said that one of the biggest deceptions in the Catholic Church right now is what's called universalism, the presumption that God is so merciful that nobody will ever be lost, or maybe only Hitler. And if you're not an axe murderer, you don't have anything to worry about. It's just absolutely a complete lie. It's just not what Jesus says it's not what the apostles say. It's not what the tradition of the Catholic Church has understood, this revelation of Scripture to say. And it's not what the catechism of the Catholic Church says. But here's a question about how to handle complex theological theories that support universalism. Unfortunately, there are some very famous, highly regarded Catholic theologians who, in this particular area, have really sown a lot of confusion. They may be great theologians. They've said really wonderful things in other areas, but in this area, but this area is really one of the most important areas. It concerns the salvation of human beings. So when my seminary asked me if I'd be willing to go to Rome to get a doctorate in theology, which meant moving there, uh, I said, I'd be willing to do it. If you let me work on the complex theological theories that are undermining evangelization and holiness in the church and are supporting universalism. So out of that, came this book, and this is my answer to Pedro, who asked that question. If you want to get more information on the complex theological theories that are undermining what God's Word says in Scripture and Tradition in the Catechism, is a book called Will Many Be Saved? What Vatican II actually teaches and its implication for the new evangelization. There's a very long chapter on Karl Rahner's theory of anonymous Christianity. It has an even longer chapter on Hans Urs von Balthasar's uh hope that all may be saved and to what st- to what extent that hope is solid to what extent it isn't and so if anybody wants to get into the theological theories i'm not recommending that people get into them but if you want to there's a book here that deals with them and basically reaffirms the basic truth of the scripture so i would say keep it simple if you're confused by some theological theory try to remember what the word of god says and and if it contradicts the word of god it's probably not in the ballpark. It's probably not going to do you any good or do anybody any good. Okay, next question. A woman married to an atheist and children who are atheists and how hard it is. You know, there are a lot of very painful relationships on this earth in this life. There are a lot of painful marriage situations. Uh, there are a lot of pain Uh in in how children are, are drifting off into the world, even though we've tried to raise them as best we could as Catholics. And all I can say is the Lord is permitting this. He's permitting this pain, but we have a way of joining our pain to the pain of Jesus. You know, Jesus suffered a lot of pain because of the sin of human beings. And, uh, Remember in the agony the garden, he, he said, Father, if this cup could pass, let it pass, but not by my will, but your will be done. And we can actually take our pain and join it to the pain of Jesus and offer it as reparation for sin, our own sin, but also the sin of those closest to us and for the conversion of sinners. Uh, I have a YouTube video on Fatima that talks about the tremendous message of Mary to St. Jacinta, St. Francisco and Lucia and how she's invited them to offer their sufferings in union with the suffering of Jesus, and it has real power. So I just encourage you to trust that God has permitted these circumstances. He has a plan to bring good out of it, but he wants you to unite your pain to the pain of Jesus and offer it as a prayer and love. There's a text in the New Testament that says godly women can win their husbands to Christ by the example of their love and holiness. I know that there's complicating circumstances many times, but Love, serve, be humble. Uh, don't put up with abuse, but love, serve, and be humble, and offer your suffering and union with the suffering of Jesus for the salvation of your husband and your children. This last one, I, I know a lot of people experience this. It says, I keep falling. I'm trapped in sin, but I want to be holy. All I can say is that the Lord wants to deliver you from the trap you're in Many people become trapped in sin. They become engulfed in sin. St. Augustine, by the time he wanted to be a Christian, he said, I'm a slave to sexual sin, but I'm responsible for having gotten to that point because through a whole series of free decisions I made earlier in my life, I know I shared this before, but it's so relevant for this man and this question from last week's talk. I'm responsible because I made a bunch of decisions early in my life that got me to the point where I am today. How did St. Augustine get free? He struggled. He agonized. He went back and forth. He was of two minds. He prayed that famous prayer, Lord, make me chase, but not right now. He was afraid to let go of his sin. He didn't think he could be happy without his sin, but eventually the Lord freed him. And all I can say is follow the advice of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better to enter the The kingdom missing an arm or missing an eye, than to go down to hell with an intact body. So this is not Jesus literally saying, "Cut off your hand or cut off your pluck out your eye." But he's saying, "Do whatever you have to do to get free from serious sin." So, dear brother, the Lord wants to free you from serious sin. You are not hopelessly trapped in it. The Lord will free you. He will deliver you. But you got to do your part. You got to make a maximal effort. You got to get rid of those things that are leading you into sin. You need to stop seeing people who are weakening your resolve to live a chaste life or or a holy life. You got to go to confession. You got to get into a 12-step group, whatever it is that's holding you back. You got to fight. You got to do your part. As you do your part, the Lord's grace will come to you, and eventually you'll find freedom. Okay, um, let's go on now to the topic of tonight. What we're going to talk about tonight is chapter 5 of the fulfillment of all desire, and the topic, the title of that chapter is the transformation of thought, desire, and action. As we open our hearts more and more to the Lord in prayer, as we take more and more on the biblical worldview that we talked about last week, we're going to find the Lord reordering our loves, uh, reordering our desires. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux talks about putting our loves in order. And what we're going to see here in this chapter is Thérèse of Lisieux and I want to introduce you to her right now. She lived in the latter part of the 19th century. She died just before the turn of the 20th century. She died at the age of 24. So the Lord had to work in her life very quickly because she was going to die very soon. What we see in her main work, which is called Story of a Soul by Thérèse of Lisieux, it's a It's an excellent book. It's uh, it's available widely. Uh, The translation from the uh, Institute of Carmelite Studies is the best one translation by John, Father John Clark. Uh, But she's she's written some other things, too. And people have recorded other things. She said here's last conversations. Really, really beautiful last conversation. She also has written poetry and plays. So but the main book, uh, the most important resource is Story of a Soul a lot of you are probably familiar with it some of you have probably uh, developed kind of uh, preliminary attitudes towards it some people feel like what can i learn from a young girl who's hypersensitive uh, who loves chocolate and eclairs you know what can i what can i learn from a little girl who's kind of spoiled you know and all i want to say is give her a chance there's such depth to her there's such heroism to her and and you're not going to see it at first but you're going to see some remarkable transformation of her own emotions, her own sensitivity, her own hyperreaction to things. You're going to see healing happen in her life. And this is the same thing that could happen to us. And How you're going to see it happen is that she more and more adopts the biblical worldview. She more and more sees things from the light of eternity. So she was born into a very devout family. In fact, her mother and father were a few years ago canonized, uh, Zayli and, uh, and her husband. And uh, her, some of her sisters may eventually be uh, canonized. And uh, so she comes to a really holy family. All of her sisters went into the Carmelite monastery. Uh, one, one didn't stay there for a while, came in and out. But uh, they all were pretty, pretty devout. Uh, She talks about there being three phases in her life. She says from the age of one to four was the happiest time in her life. Her mother was alive. When she was four and a half years old, her mother died. And she says then a real turmoil came into her life. So from the age of four and a half to the age of 12, she's, uh, she's going through turmoil. She's going through emotional turmoil. She thinks the devil's kind of harassing her, and he probably was trying to Block her from the vocation that the Lord had for her, but then something happened at the age of twelve, well, she calls it the Christmas Eve miracle, and we'll be talking about it in a few minutes. Where the Lord gave her the grace to be delivered from the turmoil she was in, and then she said, she said, and then she really began to move in a really strong way in the spiritual life, but then. In the last year and a half in her life, she went through a, a tremendous test of faith, a tremendous, I don't think it was a dark night. We'll talk more about the distinction between a dark night and intercessory reparative uh, suffering. Uh, I won't, we'll explain that. But there's a certain way in her diary, in her story of her soul, where she gives a hint that she's entered the uh, unitive stage, the spiritual marriage, because the book that was on the on her bedside when she died was John of the Cross, and so she she was very aware of the teaching of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Well, she doesn't write in a technical way; she writes in a narrative way. She writes just telling what happens to her in non-technical language, but the same depth that John of the Cross has technical language to describe is happening to her, and that's another way of accessing it. So let's let's begin. How did the Lord come? to Therese. How did the Lord uh, bring grace into her life? We're going to take a look on page 74. First, I want to read a little excerpt from a letter that her mother uh, wrote to her oldest daughter, uh, to not her oldest daughter, but one of her older daughters, Pauline. Baby Therese is a little imp. She'll kiss me, and at the same time, Wish me to die. Oh how I wish you would die, dear little mother. When I scold her, she answers, It's because I want you to go to heaven, and you say we must die to get there. She wishes the same for her father in her outburst of affection for him. Now, probably a little shocking when one of our kids says this, Oh, I wish you would die, mom, I love you so much. But what it does is shows that she's grasped even at an early age, that the one thing necessary is to get to heaven. And be, and and she already understands that the greatest love she could have for her mom and her father is to wish that they're in heaven. Now, obviously, she's going to become a little bit more nuanced as she grows up and as she learns to relate about this with other people. But this gives us a very early glimpse into she's got it. And those of you who teach little children, don't underestimate their capacity to get it, to get a biblical worldview, to get the ability to really look at things in the light of eternity. So, and then she talks about some other ways in which grace came into our life. She talks about going fishing with her father. Sometimes I would try to fish with my little line. I'm on page 74 now. But I preferred to go alone and sit down on the grass bedecked with flowers. And then my thoughts became very profound indeed. Without knowing what it was to meditate, my soul is absorbed in real prayer. So you don't need to know the seven stages of, of spiritual growth. All you need to do is yield yourself to the grace of God, the inspiration he gives, the thoughts he gives, the images he gives, the experiences he gives, the insights he gives. That, that can very very often be contemplative insights without you knowing anything about the, the steps of meditation or the stages of spiritual growth. She says, I listen to distant sounds the murmuring of the wind, at times the indistinct notes of some military music reached me where I was filling my heart with a sweet melancholy. Now, I think we've all had the experience of feelings of melancholy, of maybe seeing something beautiful but feeling sad, maybe it being a holiday but feeling sad, and and part of the sadness is the sadness of things passing, the sadness of not being in full communion with people. She goes on to say, Earth then seemed to be a place of exile. I could dream only of heaven. Sometimes it seems like we're not at home here, and things aren't working right. I don't belong. Sometimes we don't feel like we belong to any group of people. We don't belong uh, in a a really full way to anybody. And, and, And the feelings of melancholy could come. And then she said, the beautiful bread and jam you had prepared, had changed its appearance. Instead of the lively colors it had earlier, I now saw only a light rosy tint, and the bread had become old and crumbled. Earth again seemed a sad place, and I understood understood that in heaven alone, joy will be without any clouds. So, I don't know if we've had this experience of seeing flowers fade, seeing the beautiful beauties of summer trend to fall, but then becoming the the dead grays of winter and just the sadness of things passing and not even to mention the sadness of people's lives passing that we love or the sadness of people moving away that we once were friends with. And we'll, we know it's not going to be the same again, just the past, the, the passing, the transitory things of life and how everything in life is passing and we're all moving towards death. Now, it isn't something that we necessarily want to think about every day, but it's something that is good to think about, at least from time to time. But everything is passing. Everything is going. Everything we want to hold on to, we can't hold on to. it's, It's going to go. People are going to go. The flowers are going to go. The sunset's going to go. It's all going to go. And what's that telling us? What it told Therese is that the things of this earth are passing, I've got to figure out what eternity is. I've got to get to eternity. I've got to get to a place where things don't die, where things don't pass, where things love can live forever, where beauty can live forever, when goodness and tenderness can live forever. Then she talks about, again, how the Lord spoke to her through nature. I was six or seven years old when Papa brought me to Truville. Never will I forget the impression the sea made upon me. I couldn't take my eyes off it since its majesty. The roaring of its waves, everything spoke to my soul of God's grandeur and power. And next to my sister Pauline, I made the resolution never to wander far away from the glance of Jesus in order to travel peacefully toward the eternal shore. I just remembered something I forgot to tell you. At the end of our time today, uh, before I start answering questions, I'm going to play a song that we can actually sing along with that will help us respond to what we're talking about tonight. Then she says she took a a trip to Rome. She wanted to enter the Carmelite Monastery, and uh, she was too young, so she asked if she could go to Rome and implore personally the Pope to give her a dispensation so she could enter before she was 16 years old. So she's going through the Swiss Alps, and she's absolutely stunned by the beauty of the Alps. She's going from one side to the other side of the train. She says, there's beautiful things on both sides. I want to see both sides of the train. And it reminds me when somebody was offering her this thing or that thing. She says, "I, I want them both. I want them all. I choose all. So Therese wanted all the beauty that the earth could offer. She wanted all the goodness that the earth could offer. And she knows she couldn't have it. She could only be on one side of the train at one time. She says, when I saw all these beauties, very profound thoughts came to life in my soul. I seemed to understand already the grandeur of God and the marvels of heaven. I understood how easy it is to become all wrapped up in self, forgetting entirely the sublime goal of one's calling. Ah, what poetry flooded my soul at the sight of all these things. I was seeing for the first and last time in my life. It was without regret I saw them disappear, for my heart longed for other marvels. It had contemplated earthly beauties long enough Those of heaven were the object of his desires. And to win them for souls, I was willing to become a prisoner. Now, notice that she entered the convent not just for her own holiness. She entered the convent uh, for souls. She wanted her sacrifice of giving up the Swiss Alps, of giving up the beauty of this world, of giving up her family. Uh, for souls, and this is really important. We're growing in holiness not just for ourselves, but for the sake of everybody we have any connection with, and for the sake of people we'll never have a connection with on this earth. But our prayer, our holiness, our sacrifice, our love, our intercession, our reparation really make a difference. She also had a lot of grace coming to her just from her her parents, and uh, godly parents are such a blessing for children, even if children turn away at some point the imprint of godly parents who are loving the lord and who are praying is is really powerful she says she looked more frequently at papa than at the preacher at mass for his handsome face said so much to me his eyes at times were filled with tears which he tried in vain to stop he seemed no longer held by earth so much did his soul love to lose itself in eternal truth his earthly course however was far from completed Long years had to pass by before heaven opened his enraptured eyes and the Lord would wipe the tears from the eyes of his good and faithful servant. One of the greatest sufferings for Therese was seeing her beloved father begin to lose his faculties in the last couple of years of his life. We don't know whether it was a stroke or dementia or, you know, it's it's just hard to tell what it was, but he actually had to be put into an asylum. You know, it wasn't an insane asylum, but it was an asylum for people who, couldn't take care of themselves and weren't in their right minds some of the times. So it's very, very painful as sisters. The sisters, the five daughters, when they were interceding for their father and, and sharing his pain of, of the, his deterioration, this is what Therese wrote, page 79. We were no longer walking in the way of perfection. We were flying, all five of us, far from separating us. Carmel's grills united our souls more strongly. We have the same thoughts, the same desires, the same love for Jesus and for souls. So, Atreus says something very important for us to understand. As we grow in holiness, we become more human, not less human. She says, when the human heart, page 80, when the human heart gives itself to God, it loses nothing of its innate tenderness. In fact, this tenderness grows when it becomes more pure and more, more divine. This is just like Catherine Santa said that we talked about last night, that relationships that are godly relationships on this earth become even better in heaven when all the impediments and all the darkness is removed. And it's just perfect love, perfect communion, no more misunderstandings, perfect love, perfect knowledge. And we'll, we'll, we'll know and love just right now, just like right now we're we're known and love. Right now we're known and loved perfectly by God. And he's the only one right now who loves us perfectly and knows us perfectly and loves us Perfectly. But in heaven, we're going to know and love as we are now known and love God and each other. And as Trez says, as we grow in union with the Lord, as we grow in holiness, we don't become less human or less tender, but we become more. Okay, I think we better get to um, the Christmas Eve grace. She says, then I received the grace which I've always looked upon as one of the greatest in my life. Because at that age, I wasn't receiving the lights I'm now receiving when I'm flooded with them. I consider that I was born for glory. After seven years in the religious life, I still am weak and imperfect. I always feel, however, the same bold confidence becoming a great saint. Because I don't count on my merits since I have none. But I trust in him who is virtue and holiness. God alone, content with my weak efforts will raise me to himself and make me a saint, clothing me in his infinite merits. We talked about this when we went through the four principles of spiritual growth uh, in the Advent mission. And the Advent mission is on our website. You can catch up. In fact, it'd be great if you could do all the talks of the Advent mission, too. You know, some of you may not be able to, but we talked about Therese's tremendous confidence in the grace of God and how That's the first principle of growth in the spiritual life, just total confidence in the grace of God, because we can't make ourselves holy. So, uh, the Christmas Eve grace, page 90. On that night of light began the third period of my life, the most beautiful and the most filled with graces from heaven. The work I had been unable to do in 10 years was done by Jesus in one instant. Contenting himself with my goodwill, which was never lacking. He made me a fisher of souls. I experienced a great desire to work. So she's 14 years old. It's Christmas Eve. She loves Christmas Eve. She loves what her parents put out in the house on Christmas Eve. She loves the customs, the gifts. So she's coming down the stairs to this really favorite thing of her all time. When she overheard her father tell one of her sisters that he was glad that this was the last year they would have to do this, she was devastated. Normally, she'd go into an emotional turmoil and just be, de- you know, just be devastated. But heroically, Therese overcame her devastation and walked bravely downstairs to continue the celebration. Her effort to overcome the hurt and woundedness was met by an infusion of God's grace a moment she considered a very significant turning point. She received in this mercy of God, the grace of complete conversion and the strength and courage to leave her childhood behind. What blossomed then in Therese was a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners. This is what she says. At that moment, he made me a fisher of souls. I experienced a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners. a desire I hadn't felt so intensely before I felt charity enter into my soul, and she the need to forget myself and to please others since then I've been happy. The cry of Jesus on the cross sounded continually in my heart. I thirst, and this is what St Mother Teresa of Calcutta has in all her convents the, the The saying of Jesus on the cross, I thirst, and many spiritual writers have interpreted. That saying of Jesus is not just physical thirst, but he thirsts for souls. He thirsts for fallen human beings to come back to the Father's house with him. These words ignited with me an unknown and very living fire. I wanted to give my beloved to drink, and I felt myself consumed with the thirst for souls. And yet it was not the souls of priests that attracted me. You know, part of the vocation of a Carmelite nun is praying for priests. So Therese says it wasn't praying for priests that attracted her, but those of great sinners. I burn with the desire to snatch them from the eternal flames. Now, how does this all relate to us? Maybe sometime I'll go through the whole process of conversion for St. Augustine, but he worked for years trying to get free of serious sin. And then one day he heard a little child singing a scripture verse, make no provision for the flesh. And he just felt like, that was the word spoken directly from God to him, and he received the word, and it cut the last little cord that was holding him. Saint John of the Cross says, "Sometimes there's only a slight little cord still holding us. Many other things have already been cut that hold us back from flying to God. Sometimes there's only one little thing holding us, but if we keep making our effort, if we keep disposing ourselves for God's grace, if keep we keep praying, if we keep reading the Scripture, if we keep." being with other people who can support us in growing in holiness, the day will come when that last little cord will be cut and we'll fly to God. That's what happened for Therese. She couldn't get there by herself. But because she made the effort, God delivered her. Because Augustine made the effort, God delivered him. And who, there couldn't be two two more opposite saints. Augustine was enslaved to serious sin. Therese writes in Story of a Soul that a, a priest told her after hearing her confession that, He didn't think Trez had ever committed a a mortal sin in her entire life. And Trez was actually a little disappointed to hear that because she said, I I I read the story of Mary Magdalene and and, and the scripture says, because she loved, because she was forgiven much, she loves much. She says, I want to love even more than Mary Magdalene. So how can I do that? I've never committed a mortal sin. So there are some people honestly listening to us right now who have never committed a mortal sin and what a wonderful grace and gift God has given you, but you can love God as much as, the most repentant, sorrowful sinners. The way Teresa did it, she says, "If God didn't preserve me from committing a mortal sin, I would have committed the most horrible mortal sins of all. Because I had a little taste of the world, I had a little taste of the aristocracy, I had a little taste of wealth, and uh, I, I could have, I could have gone that way. But God preserved me. He gave me grace, and and I want to love God more than Mary Magdalene now because He preserved me from, from so many great sins. So." Whatever our past has been, whatever sins we've committed or haven't committed, uh, the grace of God is there to cut any ties we have to sin and lead us on to great holiness. Now, another thing that was really significant in Teresa's life is spiritual reading. I told you how she had John of the Cross's uh, writings on her bedside. She also read the scripture. Of course, she quotes them a lot. But there's a book, she says, that was the most significant spiritual writing she, reading she ever, re- wrote, she ever read. It was a book called The End of the Present World and the Mysteries of the Future Life by a French priest called Father John. It's been translated into English. We actually, actually have it available at Renewal Ministry Store. So if you go to re- RenewalMinistries.net and click on the store, you'll find it. It's by Father John. The End of the Present World and the Mysteries of the Future Life. And it's about the final judgment. It's about the return of the Lord. It's about the Antichrist. It's about a lot of the topics that we, Peter Herbeck and I have been talking about on our YouTube channel recently. Uh, You can go to our YouTube channel and and get a lot of teaching on these these last things. But that book about the last things, she says, made a tremendous impact on our life. So spiritual reading can make a tremendous impact on our life. Honestly, uh, this book... People tell me has made a spiritual a tremendous impact on their spiritual lives. If you go to Amazon and look at all the comments, I think there's over 370 comments now in the book. So many of them are saying that this is spiritual reading that's changed their life. So it can change your life. Spiritual reading is important. Now, what Therese is talking about in a narrative way and how, how the Lord delivered her. She was making her efforts, but they weren't of how the Lord delivered her, how the Lord spoke to her through nature, how the Lord spoke to her through holy people, how the Lord spoke to her through spiritual reading. And all that was doing work in her soul and igniting in her soul a desire to save souls. John of the Cross analyzes that in a very analytic way. So I'm going to now go to the end of Chapter 5, which we've been working on, and I'm going to do a little bit of what John of the cross does in an analytical way. He's going to talk about the transformation of desire, but he's going to analyze what actually happens. He's going to talk about how fear has to be transformed, how uh, joy has to be transformed, how uh, our our enjoyment of temporal goods has to be transformed. So I'm just going to take the, the next five or 10 minutes to get into John of the Cross's analysis of what Therese has just kind of described to us in a narrative way. Luke chapter 12, verses four to five. I tell you, my friends, and this is Jesus speaking, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You know, this debate among scripture scholars is just talking about the Lord is just talking about the devil It probably has reference to both. We know the devil is the father who lies and a murderer. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. But we also know that nothing can happen without the providence of God and that even though God didn't create hell, he permits people to go there who choose to go there. And uh, he's basically saying, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the death of the soul in hell. So John of the Cross is going to tell us a few things about fear now. Same with joy. Jesus says, this is the biblical basis of John of the Cross's teaching. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. You know, disciples come back excited. They cast out demons. They they heal the sick. And they're saying, Jesus, it worked. We did it. And this is what Jesus says do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here's John of the Cross. People should not rejoice over riches, neither when they possess them, nor when their neighbor possesses them, unless God is served through them. So everything is seen in the light of this. Does this contribute to loving God and loving my neighbor, or does this put an obstacle into it? Is this helping me get to heaven? Is this helping other people get to heaven? Or is this taking me off on a sidetrack? The same holds true for other temporal goods, titles and positions and so on. It is vain for people to rejoice in these goods if they do not serve God by them and walk more securely on the road of eternal life. Is this helping me walk on the narrow way or is this leading me on to the broad way that leads to destruction? As for children, there is no reason to rejoice in them because they are many or rich or endowed with natural talents and gifts, or because they are wealthy. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? But a lot of people, a lot of parents, this is this is why they rejoice in their children. One should rejoice in them if they are serving God. Now, I, I have to admit, that's it's a little tough. We should rejoice in the gift of children, but we should be very, very, very concerned if they're not serving God despite whatever wealth or talents or gifts that they have, you know. We should be very, very concerned that they have wealth and gifts and talents and houses and jobs, but our not certain, Lord, who be extremely concerned. And our ultimate rejoicing should be reserved for rejoicing for their salvation. It would also be vanity for a husband and wife to rejoice in their marriage when they are uncertain whether God is being better served by it. Nothing but what belongs to the service of God should be the object of our joy. Any other joy would be vain and worthless for joy that is out of harmony with the God is of no value to the soul. So John of the cross is the toughest of the doctors of the church because he's unrelenting in his, what in his analysis of what it means to seek God. Now it's all based on scripture. You know, Jesus says, unless you hate mother or father more than me, you're not worthy to be a disciple. Now, this is Jewish hyperbole again, but what he's saying is, if you love your mother or father or your sons or daughters more than me, you are not worthy to be my disciple. But you need to understand who I am. I'm the treasure buried in the field. I'm the pearl of great price. I'm the one whom the Father has sent to heal you, to save you, to bring you home to the Father's house. And if you put anything else before that, you're not going to get there. Or like Jesus says in Luke chapter twelve unbelievers are always worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what the future is going to bring. But I say to you, seek first the kingdom of God and his holiness, and these other things will be added as well. So there's primary values and the secondary values. It doesn't mean the secondary values aren't values. It doesn't mean the secondary goods aren't goods, but it means that they're secondary. They need to take their place properly aligned with God. Another way that that one of the great doctors of the church says is, and I've said this already, Bernard of Clairvaux says we need to – Put our loves in order. So John of the Cross is here talking about putting our loves in order. He's talking about it in a particularly stark way. But it's food for thought. So let's end tonight with a a prayer. Then I'd also like to tell you that, you know, Elizabeth is here right now with me, even though it's late at night. And uh, Pete Burak and Chris Baker were here a little while ago helping us all get set up. We have a whole team of people here at Renewal Ministries doing a whole lot of things to further the kingdom of God. And uh, we don't charge for 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 this, for almost, we don't charge for almost anything that we do. And uh, the only way we can keep doing it is if you help us. So I, I'd like to just ask you, if you can, to help us continue doing what we're doing. Keep doing our YouTube videos, keep doing our mission work in 30 or 40 different countries, keep doing our outreach to to young adults, keep doing our outreach to high school students, keep doing our TV and radio programs. We're trying to Proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified and invite the whole world to turn to him, believe and repent. So your generosity does keep the mission alive. And I'm I'm not going to talk about this every week. I'll probably only do it one more time. But uh, if you're able to help us financially, uh, that would be really, really wonderful. It will help us keep doing what we're doing. And then visit our website to join our email list, renewalministries.net forward slash sign up. Okay now I want to say a prayer I'm going to I should actually do the song first and and pray pray the song with me Okay. This is my favorite icon right now because it just reminds me of how personal Jesus is and how personally he loves us and how personally he's actually inviting us to come follow him. He really loves you. He really wants to speak to you personally. He is. And in these Lenten missions and in other ways during a day, just like with St. Therese, it could happen at any moment through people, through nature, He's speaking to you. He's inviting you into a loving union with him. He's inviting you to join him on a mission in this, on this earth, in this life. And he's inviting you to return with him to the Father's house. So let's let go of those things that are hindering us and, and just take Jesus' hand and say, Lord, I'm going with you. Thank you. See you next week.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. For more information about Renewal Ministries, visit our website at renewalministries.net. Join us next week to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.